Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org and I'm joined by my colleagues, analyst and journalist at Ukraine World and Internews Ukraine, Maxim Panchenko, and journalist at Internews Ukraine and analyst too, Olha Kravchenko. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me in this conversation. So, in this episode, we're talking about August, what happened in August in Ukraine, August 2021. And I think the, the, the biggest event is actually the Independence Day, the 30th anniversary of uh, restoration of Ukrainian independence. So, You probably have seen the the parrot, what the celebrations, the the speech by the President Zelensky. What are your impressions of it, Maxim? Well, I think uh, this was a very necessary thing for for Ukrainians to see because you know every year there there is a discussion, a public discussion about well whether it's worth to you know to to show military strength in the in the center of the capital, whether it's very democratic or not, whether it's you know very good for the public image or not. But when you are out there and uh, you see this defense capabilities of your country, so that's something I was most uh, impressed by. So I really liked it, the uh, the magnitude of what was presented at the at the square, and also of course the participation of our Western partners uh, in the event and. I, th- I think that that was a very marvelous thing to, to to see on that day. I think the intrigue is how to make a military parade and don't not to resemble USSR, you know, and uh, uh, to to kind of present your military capabilities, but with a human face. Uh, I had an impression that it was Ukraine is moving like every year into this direction, and of course, in a, in a in a country which is at war, the citizens are really needing this. They 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 want to see the military power of of their country, and this is the big request of the of the citizens. I I heard so many, for example, people who are my friends, but skeptic, very skeptical about Zelensky and his administration, administration, but really fascinated about it. Because I think this this is something that creates a kind of a, kind of a self confidence. Ola, what do you think? What's your impression? Mm. My impression uh, is great, and I think it it was a really great occasion to rem- uh, to remind ourselves uh, that we are united. And I think it was a very important um, uh, parade and event for our public, uh, as people shared a lot of positive impressions in their social media. And uh, I think that uh, it's important for people to see that. Our country develops our troops, uh, our militaries, our our uh, techniques, and so on. And I think that uh, that it's uh, it's very good. Um, it, it was a very good celebration of our 30th anniversary of independence. Let's not forget. Let's not let's remind our listeners that well, uh, it's a 30 years of restoration of independence, and uh, we. We have a beautiful video on Ukraine World. Uh, you can check it. Ukraine's independence: the deeper story. When we tell the story of previous cases of independence and previous cases of of Ukrainian fight for for independence, it's very important. Uh, do you remember the speech of Zelensky? What what uh, what's your impression out of it, Ola? 
I think it was strong and um, it repeats a lot of messages from our previous president uh, and uh, I think that it is important that our president emphasized that it is a restoration of our uh, independence, as you say, and uh, I think that we have heard a lot of uh, good messages that uh, and uh, it, it, it uh, made uh, people uh, feel a feeling uh, that we are moving in the right direction and um, I think that his speech um, was um, was pretty good. Maxim? Well, I agree. Uh, that was a very, a very good speech, I think. And uh, uh, he managed to say all the things that I think uh, Ukrainians needed to hear on this day because it's a huge day. And of course, I agree with all of us that this is a very uh, interesting angle to, and for some reason it only uh, happened for the first time in the th in 30 years of Ukraine's independence, but uh, for the first time I think it was so massively spoken about restoration of the uh, independence rather than just gaining of independence, because that um, helps the narrative, the, st the true narrative, the true story of Ukraine's history to um, to have deeper, to, to show that it has deeper roots into, into you know, into the past. Yeah, I think that there is a request for that, and I mentioned our video, but of course uh, the messages of Zelensky were also in this, I think, uh, were going this direction. Like, the, the biggest message is that Ukraine is 30 years, has 30 years, but actually it's like thousands of years of its past, and it's going back to medieval Rus, Kievan Rus, right, and all, all this, you know, Kiev princes of mm -hmm. 9th, 10th, 10th century, which is very interesting. Another interesting... Well, Ola all, all mentioned that it, it was very similar in rhetoric sometimes, you know, to, know, to, to Poroshenko and to his kind of a security-focused uh, rhetoric. And it's interesting how Zelensky, he actually hates Poroshenko and uh, vice versa. And uh, he mocked at him basically during the speech because he didn't, didn't name him. It was kind of a, uh, he named the first three presidents, then he made a joke about the, the Yanukovych, of course, and then he didn't mention Poroshenko. As if he uh, drew an equation, uh, equation line between Poroshenko and Yanukovych, which is of course not, it's unthinkable because uh, Poroshenko is a legitimately elected president who lost in, in elections. He's not like a dictator Yanukovych. So, but at the same time, he repeats in very much, you know, the rhetoric uh, right now of Poroshenko increasingly, right? Well, but we must understand that he's a statesman now. Uh, just like Poroshenko was at his time, and in being in this position it's not, and delivering this kind of speech, it's not very much about political differences and different angles, but being the leader. It's, it's something that goes and should be perceived as going not from a, a specific person, but rather from the office of the president. Yeah, he's, he tries to, to be a statesman. He tries to look as a statesman. And for some people, it seems to be comic. For some people, it, it seems to be okay. Um, you know, I'm reading right now a very interesting Portuguese analyst, Bruno uh, Masaic, who who has a very interesting thought about Trump and Berlusconi. He, he says that the difference between Trump and Berlusconi is that Berlusconi was trying to use his kind of this uh, mass culture capital to become a good statesman, whereas Trump uh, tried to use the political and statesmanship capital to become 
an even better mass culture star. So I think uh, Zelensky and Trump are really, they, they are comparable basically. And uh, I'm surprised how American analysts that I interviewed, for example, so, several American analysts that I interviewed in 2019 didn't see this, uh, this similitude because both are coming from the you know, show business, both are trying to be politicians. But what makes the difference between Zelensky and Trump is that he doesn't he doesn't really want, he doesn't really try to use politics to increase his you know mass culture popularity rather he he's trying to be a statesman whether it's you know whether it's sometimes it's it seems very awkward sometimes it's it seems unprofessional but he tries to do that what do you think Ola? I think that it's it's a, it is a fate of every Ukrainian president to become uh, a statement uh, and so on, because people expect uh, to have a statement uh, uh, as a president of their country, and I think that uh, to uh, to save and to keep uh, his popularity, uh, he should be a statement. Yeah, I think you're right because there is this request, you know, for Ukraine does doesn't like Ukrainians don't like statements. Actually, they don't like uh, a statehood. On the one hand, they have kind of a, a big level of mistrust towards any kind of things related to the state. But at the same time, I think you're right that there is a kind of a request for that. But let's come back to his speech and uh, re uh, um, remember that he really tried to, you know, build a multicultural idea of Ukraine. So mention all the ethnicities, uh, religions that I hear. It was quite a good point, I think. What do you think? Yes, first of all, again, because that was a very good facet to, to this statesman thing. Uh, this is a right thing to say at this moment. And also because of the political realities in Ukraine and uh, uh, trying to unite all Ukrainians, the more Ukrainians possible, the most Ukrainian po possible. And, uh, you know, the, the way that uh, many of the fragments of his speech were reacted to by, for instance, Russia, especially when it comes to, you know, to history, when then there was an, an ensuing, well, not discussion, but, you know, the, this ping-pong of statements on the levels of ministers, ministers of foreign affairs about the history, who owns the history of, of the Kievan Rus and so on and so forth. So, uh, the very fact that it was so acutely reacted to, it, uh, well, it points out to the fact uh, that this is something really important and something that can unite Ukrainians and maybe Russia doesn't want that. It's interesting that some people from uh, Ukrainian intelligentsia who are anti-Zelensky, very Zelensky skeptic, some of them are my friends, uh, were very critical of, of Zelensky's speech. I remember a post made by Ivan Kozlenko, who is a very well-known Ukrainian uh, uh, cultural actor who was a, a director of the Vzhenko Center, Cinema Center, uh, who wrote a very critical analysis saying that Zelensky is, is basically ignoring this, you know, the, the real current of Ukrainian statehood, uh, statehood fight, for example, the uh, Grand Duchy of Lithuania or whatever, and he's really focusing on these post-Soviet people. So his message was... Uh, 
primarily targeted as what Ivan Kozlenko called, I think, the Soviet engineers. And we were discussing this with Oksana Zabushka, a Ukrainian writer, a famous writer, who also agreed with that. Well, I kind of understand what they mean, because Zelensky is not, uh, he is reinventing his Ukrainianness, as many, many million of people in Ukraine. And uh, he really comes from this Soviet um high technological intelligentsia, let them let them call Soviet engineers, who basically lost very much from the independence because usually they, they lost their jobs in big Soviet factories. So it's important to get them on the on board. So I I rather agree with this, you know, uh, statement that it was directed to the Soviet engineers, but I personally don't don't think it is bad. I think it is good because he's trying to send a message to all to those people who are not necessarily what's sympathetic with the idea of independent Ukraine in 91, to say that, look, in 2021, that's your idea. Ole, what do you think? Mm, I totally agree. And um, as well, I want uh, to add that um, uh, Zelensky mentioned um, all, all regions, uh, all Ukrainian regions, and uh, he emphasized on the greatest things that uh, these regions gave uh, for Ukraine history and so on. He mentioned personalities, mentioned factories, and I think that um, it uh, made uh, people from that regions proud of their uh, little motherhood. Yeah, it's very important. I agree with you because, I mean, <clears throat> Ukraine is a kind of a sometimes, it seems to be it, it is split a little bit, right? Uh, and uh, there is so much of regional regional identity. And it's very important to uh, to map this regional identity with uh, with the general Ukrainian identity. Let's move forward and talk about one of the greatest events of, of August, I mean Crimean platform. So Ukraine uh, organized the Crimean platform, brought dozens of countries and institutions, I think it was 46, something like 46. And uh, to raise the issue of Crimea again, why do you think it was needed, Maxim? Well, of course, the most important thing in this respect was to, uh, as stated by the organizers, was to um, bring back the issue of Crimea to, to the agenda, to the international agenda. First, because in context of Ukraine, they, uh, this issue was eclipsed by the pending issue of Donbas, of the war in Donbas, Minsk agreements, you know, and everything that is going on around this. Uh, secondly, we, get, we speak about the broader international agenda when there are different, even apart from Ukraine, there are different other, you know, topics, the latest being, for instance, Afghanistan, and there are many of those. And Crimea is lacking attention in that list. So Ukrainians needed to put Crimea back in it, and uh, uh, that, that's what uh, the, the, the summit was about. And uh, it's a good thing that this format is going to be, um, you know, evergreen, everlasting. There has only been a summit and the inaugurational summit that launched the platform that is going to be operational full-time. Uh, however, at the same time, there is a challenge as to uh, what the contents of the, of, the, of the platform will be, the specificity of what can be done, apart from the declaration that uh, has been signed and can be uh, exceeded to by other nations. Uh, so, the, 
Ukraine's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and, and Presidential Office, they now have a challenge to, you know, to drive that somewhere, the, this effort they have launched. So the representation was, um, the, the representation of the world, let's say, for international community, it left ambiguous feeling, I would say, because on the one hand, it was quite impressive. All the EU member states, all the NATO member states, EU as an institution was represented by uh, European Council President, Mr. Michel, Uh, NATO, uh, Council of Europe, United States, Canada, many other countries. But on the other hand, if we looked on big players, the big fish, uh, th there was no leader of, of, of big players. No, like Chancellor Merkel can, came on 22nd of August and couldn't, <laughs> couldn't stay one day longer for, to visit Crimea platform on 23rd of August. So... Mr. Biden didn't come, but he sent uh, his envoy. Uh, the, the, the French uh, were represented, I think, by the foreign minister as well, right? I but think it was uh, you know, some other countries. So we, we we didn't really see the the prime minister, the heads of state. Of course, there were some. For example, the, there was the Polish president, Mr. Duda, etc. But not so many. So, do you think it was success or, or failure, Olya? I think it's a great launch of this platform and I think this uh, event is a successful story for Ukraine. For the first time, Ukraine um, uh, Ukraine hosted uh, such a great event and I think that it is a great beginning. But uh, I think that uh, the geography and the representation of this platform uh, sh should be more broad. And I think that our Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, will work on that. And um, I think that uh, this platform... Uh, has a lot of potential, but uh, our diplomats, our politicians should work, uh, should work hard on that. Uh, I, I, I would like to say that um, uh, uh, that uh, it was lack of um, uh, representatives of Africa, for example, or uh, or Asia. And, um, uh, for example, if uh, we, uh, when we look to the uh, resolution uh, in the United Nations on Crimea, uh, there were uh, about uh, 64 uh, votes last year in December. And uh, here in uh, Kyiv, uh, we, uh, we have 46 participants. So I think that, that the number Uh, of participants should grow uh, step by step, month by month. And yeah, but, but initially during the resolutions, I think there were over 100, right? So it's they're getting diminishing every year. Well, yes, but you know, comparing these things is not completely justified. Right? Of course, because one thing is to, to sign a resolution, another but another thing is to event. send uh, uh, at least foreign minister to Kiev. But uh, Ola, you, you had a chance to attend this summit, so uh, to see it in, in person. Uh, did you feel some magnitude of this event? Yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed and uh, I was proud of my country in that moment because it was um, uh, a great opportunity to join such a great uh, event and I'm happy that um, 
that uh, our country pays more uh, more attention to to the Crimea issue, and uh, I think that uh, I think that uh, we we should um, work on that, and uh, of course the practical uh, results uh, will depend uh, on this work, and I think that for example uh, in December when uh, we will have this um, voting on. Uh, on resolution on Crimea, we will see whether we manage uh, to consolidate more our partners uh, for for uh, for for standing for our territorial integrity and sovereignty. Another big event of uh, August and maybe already of September is a visit of uh, Mr. Zelensky to the United States. Uh, and meeting with President Joe Biden. So, Maxim, what do you think about this event? Well, to put it in a nutshell, I think that the visit of Zelensky to, to, to the United States has been no breakthrough, uh, but totally a productive uh, meeting and a success uh, you know, on its merits. So, um, I think that well, the, the two major issues that Ukrainians may be discontent with uh, is uh, the fact that uh, you know NATO pro NATO prospects for Ukraine was not that much were not that much discussed, and they certainly were not reflected in the final document. That's uh, first of all, and uh, of course there is also uh, well this tri triangular between Ukraine, Russia, and uh, well. US and there is Germany when it comes to, to the Nord Stream 2. And, you know, there is this meeting did not bring anything new to the situation with the Nord Stream 2. Uh, there are still, you know, economic interests of Germany and the US leaning towards Germany uh, on this issue. So no major reverse in that sense was made. However, otherwise, there have been some productive agreements, like, uh, for instance, uh, a new agreement, a new loan for Ukraine uh, on the, um, for the procurement of American weapons, defensive lethal weapons, uh, for the amount, I think, of $60 million. And then there was also an agreement for $45 million for humanitarian aid. But it's so, so little. I mean, I was so surprised that such a little sums of money are even mentioned during the well, high-level meeting. First of all, it should be understood that this was a working uh, uh, visit, not an official visit visit or a state visit. Uh, second of all, uh, it should be understood that, uh, for instance, uh, in total, the United States since 2014, I think, uh, has allocated f uh, around $2.5 billion to support Ukraine's defense uh, system. And the United States during the Trump era finally got to um, allocate lethal weapons to Ukraine, something that European states never had, you know, enough hard to do. Yeah, but uh, what surprised me is that, you know, these figures were, were mentioned because either you mentioned like some big things, big fish, or you don't mention it at all. Because if you mentioned, uh, well, several dozens of millions of dollars, well, when Ukrainian oligarchs have, you know, but there are several people who, have, who own uh, dozens of uh, billions probably, 
it's it's a wrong message to the country i think it's a wrong message that you know it's it's not that important that we give so little of course ukraine should not be begging for money from united states i think that's the worst thing to do that ukraine should should show its real independence sovereignty etc i think there are two two things to to explain uh, the situation uh first of all uh the us is trying to 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 show um how much of a bargain the U.S. Uh, efforts to support somebody should be. that Because in that very same document that was concluded uh, after the, the meeting, there, uh, there was much text about uh, reforms, you know, corruption and so on and so You know, different, I think it was the ju- judicial reform and their respect for human rights, something that is not that, ma- that often uh, mentioned as opposed to... Uh, to um, to reforms that's the first thing and the second uh, the, sec- the second thing is that uh, ukraine needed to use everything to present um, this visit as um, as a success because there was afghanistan at this time which uh, completely eclipsed you know e- ukraine from the agenda and from the international perception of the visit and of course there were hardships with nato and the nord stream 2 which i dwelt upon uh, before so ukraine needed to, to, sh- to you know to use every piece of publicity and if it came if it had to come to naming figures but hoping that they would help. So be it. So Ukraine went for it, I think. In Ukraine, there is, of course, there is talk that, look, uh, well, uh, Biden first met Putin and only after him Zelensky. But I think if, if we look into perspective, into if we look at things with the, with the perspective, we see that I think, maybe I'm wrong, but Zelensky is a kind of a, one of the rare European leaders that Biden has invited. So So he had... Angela Merkel and Zelensky was the first after Angela Merkel. Yes. So in a way, it's 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 a, it's a big attention actually, right? Am I wrong or am I right? What yes, do you think? yes, you're wrong. And uh, just today, I was reading that in fact Zelensky was even in the top ten, could be considered in the first ten uh, top ten leaders Biden met, and hence Ukraine could be considered on the top ten list of Ukraine's of uh, the U.S. priorities. In the foreign policy. Yes, the fact that uh, uh, the fact that Zelensky was uh, the eighth uh, president in the world uh, who met with Biden, uh, this fact shows that uh, Ukraine is uh, high on the agenda in the United States. And I think that the situation in Afghanistan uh, present uh, presents Biden with an opportunity. To, um, to show um, the influence of the United States in Ukraine, for example, by supporting our reforms process, by supporting our uh, defense capabilities and so on. Uh, so I think that I agree that uh, this, this um, visit was rather um, successful. And, uh, uh, however, um, uh, what Max, Max has mentioned already, I was also uh, a little bit disappointed about uh, about mentioning of NATO and uh, uh, your uh, Atlantic aspiration of Ukraine. I think that uh, the be- the message um, from Biden um, administration might be stronger. So. 
We don't know actually whether they can uh, give a stronger message about NATO. We understand that there is no consensus. And I think probably the solution can be different. The solution can be that Ukraine doesn't really talk only about NATO, but tries to build bilateral bilateral associations, bilateral agreements, etc. That's what is trying to do actually under this administration, under this uh, foreign minister Kuleba. But let's try to talk about Afghanistan, yeah, the hottest topic right now in the world. So Ukrainians, of course, have uh, their own memory of Afghanistan because many Ukrainians served in the Soviet army during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Mm, I think Afghan war and uh, Ukrainian independence efforts were among the key factors that destroyed Soviet Union. So in this case, we can even compare them. Mm, by the way, on the Independence Day, there was one of the very interesting movies set out on public broadcaster in Ukraine, a movie by Alexander Zinchenko, Ukrainian historian, and the team of public broadcasters, Suspilne, which was called Collapse. So the documentary about the Soviet Union collapse and the role of Ukrainian independence efforts in this. So I would say that Afghan war, um, Chernobyl, Uh, of course, economic hardships and the independence efforts primarily by the Baltic states and Ukraine were the factors that led to Soviet Union collapse. But Afghan war was really important. Let's remember that, you know, in the 19th, 20th century, the, the world powers were competing for Afghanistan, Britain and others in the Soviet Union. So uh, in the 20th century, Soviet Union. So everybody considers Afghanistan as a kind of entry point into Asia, right? And the United States pull off. So they, they leave really a big, big disappointment, big misunderstanding what's going to be next. And of course, in Ukraine, there are fears that, you know, if you if you, if United States is pulling off in the Middle East, then Afghanistan, what will happen next? Whether it will decide to, for example, to go away from Eastern Europe, Ukraine in particular. On the other hand, Ola mentioned that uh, that for Biden, for Americans, that Ukraine can be a chance to show, no, 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 we are... We are there, okay, we left Afghanistan, but we are in the Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. So what do you think? What, what interpretation is best? Well, I think that uh, every one of these countries you mentioned and, and Ukraine, they should be considered as separate case studies. This is, uh, I don't think this should be perceived as a tendency, but by rather case study by case study. Uh, in terms of Afghanistan, there is a history of its own because America came there to fight terrorism uh, among the primary purposes and we know that the war on terrorism has become quite a holy, I would, I would say, thing for Americans after what happened on 9-11 and duly so. So, um, in this sense, and of course there is, it should be understood that there is a big difference between uh, the strategy of, um, of the US that led to this withdrawal Uh, because the, the withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan was talked about by different administrations and the optics of things, 
of how everything happened. Because as much as everybody can uh, point out to how much of a mess this pullout was, how hectic it was, uh, how quickly Taliban took over, uh, how many casualties there were, especially after the recent explosions. Uh, however, at the same time, it should be understood that uh, this is only the, you know, the information cover. This is uh, how the, the image of the day makes us perceive the, the situation. But it, Rome was not built in a day and Afghanistan was not left in a day. Uh, this was the politics, the decisions that were being taken in the White House for, I think, a good bunch of years. But the question is, uh, Maxim, the key question is whether the Biden is really, you know, uh, reversing the Trump strategy of, of, you know, kind of American isolationism or focusing on itself, or he's actually continuing it. And, uh, and, and this is a question that should worry Ukrainians so much. I don't think we speak about isolationism here. It's just... It's not isolationism, but rather it's an idea that, well, America cannot really uh, be the governor of the world anymore. It, it cannot be the, the world hegemon a- anymore. And, okay, it should come back to kind of a 19th century politics, the balance of power politics, where you're a strong power, there are other strong powers like China or U- European Union or Russia for some people. And you just, you know, you play, you play the game. You don't control everything. You, you're not trying to control everything. Let's not forget that uh, the United States were trying to enter the zones left by the Soviet Union. Let's not, it, it, I'm talking about Iraq, for example. I'm talking about Syria. I'm talking about Afghanistan. I'm talking about Eastern Europe. So if we take Middle East, Uh, the uh, the attempts by by the Western powers to, you know, to take the place left by the Soviet Union were unsuccessful. With Afghanistan, we have the same. So I think uh, we should be worried, and uh, that means that Ukraine should act in a circumstances where, for example, the American presence, global presence, in ten years will be much less than it it was ten years before. Well, I generally agree, but there is, you know, there is a thing I would like to say that uh, Afghanistan is not only a, an example of, uh, of, you know, this new politics of, of this administration of pulling out of everywhere and, you know, becoming more concentrated on itself. It also is a wound in itself, something that needed to stop bleeding for a very good, you know, period of time. So uh, that is really why it is a case study and it is not, you know, some uh, exemplified case. So um, I think, and of course, the presence that the U.S. had in Afghanistan, uh, it was incomparably higher with anything that I think Ukraine could expect uh, of of the U.S. presence here in Ukraine. So, uh, which is why I don't, I, I mean, like, I understand that this raises the broader political issues about whether uh, the U.S. would be interested to come to other countries like to Ukraine. However, um, I don't think that we need to panic here. No, it's not about panicking, but we can compare our situations. In a way, we can compare Ukraine and Afghanistan because uh, Ukraine was also deeply strategically important for many countries in the 19th and 20th century. We can uh, interpret the First World War as a kind of a, one of the interpretations of events in the Eastern Front, for example, was a battle for Ukrainian lands. The same 
goes about um, the Second World War. Remember this, you know, Hitler's com concept of Lebensraum, which was applied primarily to on Eastern Europe and including Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with uh, such countries as Ukraine and, as, and Afghanistan is that they attract so much attention from external powers that they, in our case, Russia, for example, or, or even Western powers, that uh, they don't have a time and opportunity to develop their own statehood and identity. And when these powers leave, they really leave a very problematic, problematic territory. But Ukraine is not Afghanistan. We published an article about that by uh, our colleague Joel Wasserman. Uh, Ukraine, I think, is, is, is not really a failed state or a territory. It, it really fights for itself. Ola, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, uh, unlike uh, Afghanistan, uh, Ukraine uh, showed uh, a lot of um, successes, and uh, we we are on our uh, road to a better future, better governance, uh, less uh, less corruption, and so on. And uh, I think that uh, both uh, Ukrainian people and Ukrainian uh, authorities show uh, show that uh, their aspiration for for better future for for um, for for the progress and uh, especially the joint declaration uh, by uh, on strategic partnership between uh, Ukraine and the US shows that because um, I think that uh, it looks like a, a road map for our further reforms and um, uh, I have noticed that um, it was a lot of uh, manipulation uh, by uh, Kremlin uh, by Kremlin regarding this narrative uh, narrative that uh, Ukraine uh, resembles to Afghanistan but uh, we should uh, clear for ourselves and for the world that unlike uh, the unlike Afghanistan Ukraine uh, is and will be a successful story I think that the uh, I agree with you that the Kremlin used the uh, this Afghan story very much so basically the message was very simple you are the next and you can you can read this message so America left Afghanistan America soon will leave you and you will be alone with us and we we all understand what will happen in this regard but I think Ukrainians should take this seriously understand that that can be a situation when when we can be alone and we should learn how to fight for example Russian aggression if we are alone hopefully we're not alone but we should learn how to do that and um, there are, of course, there are some some very interesting differences uh, because Ukraine, well, it is supported by international donors, but we cannot say really the the amount of money uh, invested into Ukraine. Well, it's it's big, but it's not that big that the amount of money invested in Greece or whatever, you know. So it's it's not even. It's not an element uh, that if you take off this money, if you take these influences, it will collapse. No, it will not collapse. Ukraine is building its own, its roads on its own money or uh, some other resources. Ukraine has built its army very much on its own efforts. And the dynamism of this country, well, it is due primarily, I think, to the kind of energy which is inside the country. That, that, which, that is something that, we, that gives us hope. And uh, 
last but not least, uh, I think that Afghan society mostly perceives Americans as foreign invaders, as they uh, perceived Soviet Union. Whereas for us, uh, Russian propaganda, what is trying to say that America is foreign invaders and Europe uh, is all about this narrative of ex external governance. But what we see from the sociology is clearly Ukrainians. Well, Ukrainians can be not loving the West very much, but they clearly understand who is who is the worst guy mm -hmm. in the stories, that Russia is the worst guy in the story. Uh, we are going to an end. Um, maybe some remarks about Merkel's visit to Kiev? Well, I think uh, Merkel's visit to Kiev is, and the impression she left by that, is not so very much about the contents of, of the visit, because after all, at the end of the day, uh, not too much and not and nothing too ambitious could, could, could happen towards the end of her, uh, of her uh, rule in, in Germany, but rather about the form uh, it took and the timing it had, because it was uh, immediately before the Crimean platform. It was on the uh, on a weekend, on a, on the twenty second of August, and she did not. Not only she did not find an opportunity to stay uh, overnight to attend the Crimean platform, even though it was reported she never had any plans for that day back in Germany, uh, but in fact. There also were, I'm not sure if it happened actually, but I heard that even uh, the level of representation of Germany at, at the Crimean platform that had previously been uh, scheduled to take place at the level of minister, uh, it was even lowered. So, uh, and that, that is something that, uh, you know, this, um, well, it frustrated Ukrainians because um, against the backdrop of these problems we have with the Nord Stream 2, it could be expected that Merkel would like to, uh, you know, to do something to outweigh that negative uh, image and, you know, to, to offer her presence at an important event, you know, or something to show Ukraine that no matter the Nord Stream 2, you're still very important to us. But she chose not to. It's not like she couldn't, but she chose not to. And that's, you know, that's a very good... Uh, food for thought. I mean, n no tragedy happened, of course, and uh, Germany, as all the other Western countries uh, of the EU and NATO, our partners, and keep being so. But, you know, it's just a good cold shower. I agree with you, but let's see how it develops. Really, Nord Stream presents, a, we talked about it several times on this podcast, Nord Stream presents a huge energy, economic, and security challenge for Ukraine, because really... If it works, the gas transportation system, a Ukrainian gas transportation system, was would be basically unnecessary for Russia to export its gas to European Union, and that can be can, can of course provoke Russia for some other uh, nasty things. But let's finish on a positive note. I would like to say that I was really impressed during the independence celebrations about the, with again impressed with this cultural revival which is now in Ukraine. Uh, I I would I would talk only about two concerts. One very very intellectual, very sophisticated. Uh, the Thousand Years of Ukrainian Music, the project Kovchek, which is run by, by many different people. And it is impressive how this concert, this idea, united 
uh, on the one hand, Ukrainian folk music, the classical music, and the contemporary music. But even the like pop concert, which was made on the Independence Day on the stadium, uh, the the best I think it was like the best thirty songs of Ukrainian in independence or U- Ukrainian Ukrainian culture. Well, uh, even 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 though I'm very skeptical about pop music and Ukrainian pop music in particular, I would say that it was well made and it was made with the, this sense of you know Ukrainian culture revival, and I enjoyed it very much. So I really think that there is this source of energy in Ukrainian society, and we can expect that it w- it is bringing fruits already now. So this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko, editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. Uh, thank you to my colleagues Maxim Panchenko and Olha Kravchenko. We tried to really understand what happened in Ukraine and around Ukraine in August 2021. Uh, follow us on social networks, on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple, and on Facebook and Twitter, and stay with us. Mm-hmm.